when you're choke holding the how, that's not manifesting. That's just making a goal happen. That's just forcing something to happen. Manifesting is allowing you to be surprised, allowing it to happen in the craziest, most unexpected way. So you have to completely surrender the how and completely surrender the when. Welcome to She Leads First, a podcast for female entrepreneurs who are ready to build a brand that will become a revenue generating machine. Hey guys, I'm Emily Sincata, a brand and business strategist with years of experience in both marketing and online product development. Each week, myself and my guests are going to share our own experiences and knowledge with you so that you can figure out exactly what about your brand is going to keep people coming back for more. You'll leave this podcast equipped with the confidence to tackle those big goals that are going to scale the impact of your brand and your bank account. It's time for you to embody that CEO energy and start leading first. After all, you're building more than just a business. You are building a movement. If you have ever found yourself wondering if you should raise your prices, when is the right time to raise your prices, and how do you know if you're doing it from a place of integrity, you are going to love today's episode and today's guest. Today on She Leads First, I had the pleasure of interviewing Shauna Gates, who is a money mindset expert and a business coach who's passionate about helping women worldwide transform their relationship with money and success. She's a mom of three and over 10 years in business, building multiple brands. She's a passionate ADHD whirlwind who is never happy sitting still and thrives in the chaos. We get into all the things, energetics, money, mindset, manifestation. Oh, you are going to want to stick around to the end where we dive into how to actually manifest 10K months and what that looks like in her step-by-step process. This is an energetic business dream in terms of a podcast interview. Stick around to the end. I know you're going to love every moment of it with Shauna. Let's dive in. Hello, Shauna. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. Hi, Emily. Oh my God, this is so good. I'm so excited for it. I am so excited for this as well, because we are talking all things energetics with business today. And my audience who's been listening knows that I have been on a strategy kick. And so I haven't had a conversation like this in quite some time now on the show. And so I think this is going to be a really exciting topic for us to dive into and to share all the goodness with everybody who is listening. But before we dive in, I would love to just start if you could give us a high level overview of who you are and what you do for my listeners who haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet. So I am a multi-passionate business owner who can't sit still and I'm not happy unless I'm doing a million things and helping a million different people at once. So I, the elevator pitch is always really hard for me, I'm going to be honest, and I don't know if it's a little bit of ADHD type of stuff, but it's very much about constantly being creative in every way and constantly helping women who also don't want to be completely boxed down. So I do business coaching, business consulting. I run a graphic design business as well. And I also write books on the side. So like I said, it's really hard to niche that down into one little sentence. But I think what I help women with the most is the mix between energy and strategy. Like you said, like you've been on a strategy kick and I totally get it. And I want to open that conversation about how important strategy is when it's mixed alongside the right level of energetic work as well. 
Oof, that is like straight to my heart speaking my language. I love that so much because we do really need both. And I think the most relatable thing <laughs> is honestly the struggling to get your elevator pitch all in one as a multi-passionate entrepreneur. And you're not alone there. <laughs> so many of us are like, okay, but I do eight different things. So totally makes sense. But I'm really excited for this conversation today. And where we're going to dive in is this whole topic of how and when to raise your prices and how to do it with integrity. And we were just talking a little briefly before we hit record here of this is something where you're always getting told to raise your prices online, but nobody really tells you how to do it the right way. And so I'm really excited to dive into this with you. I would love to know how this came on your radar as something that you're passionate about or something that you could help people with. How does this fit into the context of what you do? I think honestly, it's from every toxic experience I've had in the coaching industry. When you sign up and, and a mentor says, send me $20,000 and I'll help you fix everything. And on the first call, they just say, raise your prices and work with less people, but make more money. And that's the, the, the end of their advice. That's as deep as it goes. And you're left just feeling like, okay, I understand the maths of that. I understand how working with 10 people of $1,000 and working with one person of $10,000. I understand logically how that works, but how do I make it feel good inside of me? And just that conversation wasn't happening no matter what coach I hired, no matter what workshop I did. No one was telling me how to make my pricing actually feel better. And then a couple of years ago, I had an amazing conversation with the, the beautiful Jennifer, and she kind of opened my eyes to that more energetic side of raising your prices and charging with alignment and selling with from a place of soul, I guess you would say, because I had a strategy down pat. I've never had a problem with strategy, but the energetic side of something, I find really easy to give advice to people and really, really hard to take my own advice. So it was kind of my own journey of, well, I can't help people with their pricing unless I figure out how to raise my prices with integrity, with alignment, figure out how to do it in a way that feels good. For not just me, but my client as well. And so it was an evolutionary journey, I guess you would say, of slugging through it, figuring it out myself. And then now it being something that I'm confident to teach women every single day. And I think the thing is as well, why a lot of people aren't talking about it. And, and when you do pay for that high level mentoring and you're maybe not getting the depth of conversation you need is because it does look different for everyone. There's no copy and paste version of how to do it or raise it by 2% or do it at this time of year that's going to work for everyone. So it requires a deeper conversation, I think. Yeah. And there's so many layers to it. And I feel like the reason why we get into coaching programs and so often the advice to, is to raise your prices. I feel like at some level, it makes sense, especially if you're working with entrepreneurs who are in early stages or entrepreneurs who have hit a cap on the amount of clients that they can take on. Oftentimes people are undervaluing what they do. And so it makes sense that it's this common piece of advice. But like you said, there's so much more to the story. Not everybody should be raising their prices. So let's dig in there a little bit. What are some of the signs that you see? How do we know for ourselves when it is a good time to evaluate our pricing and see if it's time to adjust? Yeah, so I would say there's two common ways that it comes up. And the first way is when you've got someone who's radically self-aware, they've done the work, they know themselves, and they know themselves, and they get this in, this nudge inside that they probably should be charging more of that. Oh, I feel like I should be charging more. They send out an invoice and there's not the like, oh my God, I can't believe I get paid to do this work. There's, 
oh, that really doesn't feel like enough for the effort I'm going to put in for this particular project, whatever it is. And then the second part that comes through is when the client maybe doesn't have that level of awareness tapped into their own intuitive nudges and it's coming more from their client base when the clients are saying, oh, my God, you're too cheap. You need to charge more. I can't believe I signed up for this program and there's this much in it. This is incredible. When your clients are going out to networking events and saying, oh, my God, you have to work with Emma. She has no idea she's not charging enough. Like when those type of conversations are happening, you want to nip it in the bud straight away because you never want to be the brand that's known as, you know, the one that's so cheap, the one that doesn't know what she's charging. You want to be known as the one that's the best. So when those type of conversations start popping up, I feel like that's a really, really great indicator that you are not valuing yourself the way the clients who experience your work are valuing what you do. Oh my gosh. Yes. I've been on both sides of those conversations. Just <laughs> just thinking back on my own journey, there definitely were phases where I had clients say to me, like, you know, you're pretty cheap for what you do. And I'd be like, really? Like, what does that mean? What do I need to like, is, do I have to raise my prices? I thought I was good. And then going into a little bit of a panic. And I've also been the person who's like, hey, like you said, go work with this coach right now because her prices are phenomenal for what she's delivering. Which brings up an interesting point of this whole equation too, though, is how do we marry over-delivering our clients so there's that wow factor there where it does really feel like they got so much value for what they invested, but not overdoing it where it almost feels like icky. It feels like you're trying to get your clients to feel like they got what they paid for. Do you know that energy that I'm talking about where it's like that rub where I want to over-deliver, but something feels icky about it? I feel like over-delivering and exceeding expectations is never a bad thing, but it comes from a place of how can I systemize that? How can I, if it's done once and it's done forever. So for example, I've got a program that's been running for five years now and it is massive. That is the one every single time that people come into and they're like, I did not know it was going to be this deep and this powerful and you really should be charging more for it. But I did it five years ago and I've added to it slowly. So it's over delivering, but not in a way that burns me out. And I, my design business, I love to exceed my clients' expectations and present things beautifully and send them a how-to guide, a bonus video on exactly how to implement their strategy. But it comes from a system and a template and a format. So it's not taking massive amounts of my creative energy every single time I have to do it, which is reflected, obviously, in the pricing. And I feel like, yeah, once again, it is just those deeper conversations because it's not going to look the same for a hairdresser as it does for a business coach, as it does for an e-commerce skincare brand. That exceeding expectations and customer experience is going to look different, but you can systemize it to a way where your customer feels completely supported and excited and loyal and involved and you're not burning the candle at both ends. Yeah, I think you just hit the nail on the head there with the piece of we always want to exceed expectations. We always want to over deliver, but it's that piece of making sure that you still feel valued for your time and you don't feel like you said you're burning the candle at both ends. Because I even find and I've had this conversation with clients before of when you are doing that, you start to block your own sales because you realize you don't want more clients that feel like that. And then that becomes this weird trap of you like, you think you can't raise your prices because you're not selling, but you're not selling because you don't want to sell at that price because it doesn't feel good. Yeah. And capacity is a big part of the conversation I think is missing because you can have the most amazing strategy 
behind the scenes and you could be selling in the DMs personally. Let's say you've got a skincare brand and you're personally asking people to DM you, have a conversation about their skin and you send them a recommendation. And for two years, you just can't break over a certain amount of sales a month. Even though it's a strategy thing that we need to put in place, we need to put in place like a different way of getting the people those results. So for example, a quiz or some type of form they can fill out that automates a response or more education around the products. That's a strategy side of things. But energetically, you block yourself, you don't show up the way that you want to, you're not as confident selling your products because you know if you got a thousand orders overnight, you would be completely overwhelmed. If you got a hundred DMs you woke up to in the morning asking for personalized recommendations, you just don't have the time and energy for that. So it's like there's a strategic side to it and always that energetic side as well. And capacity, I think, is a big part of that self-sabotage. Absolutely. So if we're somebody who's at the point where it's like, all right, Shauna, I'm feeling those little nudges of maybe it's time to raise my prices. What's the next step? Like, how do we go about answering the question of how much, how big of an increment should prices go up? Do you have any guidance or formulas or things that you think to when it comes to answering that question of how big of a raise should my prices go up by? Yeah. And I feel like once again, that's an industry thing as well. Like if you're in steel wholesale supplies, your price rise is going to look very different because people are going to go onto the steel wholesaler website and look for a different price rise. So it comes back to, I think there is a conversation around what industry you're in, especially like if you're in hairstyling and there's eight other hairdressers in your town, price rising conversations can look very different to and you know, a lawyer or an online consultant or something like that. So that's what I think the first point is that there is no one step formula for everyone. What I like to do with clients is we put all of their offers into a spreadsheet. I'm loving it. I love a spreadsheet. I love a telephone spreadsheet. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> we put all their offers in. We go and look at their monthly averages for like the last three months minimum, but hopefully a couple of years, look at their monthly averages, map out how that's looking currently. And then we just basically play with the numbers. And it's going, okay, so if we brought 10 more people into this offering a month, the income will increase here. But also if we added $2 onto this offer every month, this is the profit we make here. Basically just playing with the numbers to overall, like make sure the product suite is still quite versatile, that people can come in at different price points and still feel held and supported. But overall, that number at the bottom per week, per month, per quarter, per financial year is increasing. And so the first step of that is playing with the actual pricing of the offer not necessarily how many people are coming in because that's one that one very quick change you know we're not going to have to focus on bringing 100 more people in we can edit the pricing here and then the second part of that is if someone's mission is really about a massive impact their price values aren't going to look like the coach who just wants to work with five people and make six figures because her pricing goal is going to be charge the most work with the least amount of people and offer a real quality, like a depth of service versus the person who wants to impact 100,000 women with a self-care program. You know, the pricing on that's going to look very different. So that's why those deeper conversations are needed. But first, it's playing with the numbers. Once you get numbers that feel good, that feel expansive, that feel exciting, they feel a little bit stretchy, but you can see the bigger vision of how it plays out and the spreadsheet that I use in particular actually has like a current section up the top and then the goal section down the bottom. So you can see that really stark contrast between where you are now and where you're going. And then it's energetically stepping into those prices before strategically stepping into the prices. I feel like that's the missing conversation. Tell me more what you mean about that. Yeah. So how I, you know, when people manifest a lottery win and then they're 
broke again 12 months later because they energetically weren't ready to hold it. They didn't have the knowledge. They didn't have the mindset to be a millionaire. It's the same thing with your price sizes. And what I see happen, what I experienced myself and what I now can pick up really quickly in clients when they come to work with me is they've raised their prices because that coach online or that TikTok expert said, raise your prices, but they weren't energetically there. So they self-sabotage, they offer discounts. And even though their website says, I'm $1,000 for a lawyer retainer, someone contacts them and they're like, oh, but I'll give it to you for 400 Or did you see the old pricing? We can just, we can honor last year's pricing. Or I know you inquired six months ago, so let me give it to you at that price. The discount nobody asked for. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. It's like, so you're energetically not ready to charge those prices. So you self-sabotage back to that lower income level all the time. And then you're left feeling like, well, I did the thing. I did the price rise everyone told me to do. And I feel worse than before. (laughs) And I'm not making the money. And I haven't actually charged anyone at that new price. And so when you do the energetic work first and you step into your new pricing, whether that's two weeks, three months, six months, whatever it is, when you're energetically there before it actually shows up on your website, you have no problem sending that DM back to someone that says, yes, I'm $1,000 for two hours legal consulting or all my prices on the website or click here. Like you hold a standard for yourself and your prices so much easier that you don't tend to slip into that self-sabotage cycle with it and that's probably the biggest difference with doing the energetic work first and the strategy is you hold those new prices so much easier yeah oh it brought me back when you were saying that to my personal training days which is my first entrepreneurial venture was I started off as a personal trainer and I used to do those discounts that nobody asked for all the freaking time and I would just assume before I pitched that my prices were too much and that people were going to have objections and it was like I was downselling myself when nobody was asking me for these discounts and for these downsells. So that is such a real phenomenon. And I think this piece of energetically stepping into it before you pitch it is important and it's real. I'm curious if you have a practice or visualization or how do you recommend and help people and help yourself even energetically get aligned with the higher prices when you decide, okay, it's time for these to shift. Yeah, absolutely. And I do, I have put together a cheat sheet about this. And I think I also talk about it in my second book too, because it is like, I feel people need examples. It's all well and good for me to say, step into it. But then they're like, okay, sure. That's great. How do I do that? And it's like, you do it by normalizing the numbers. You do it by making those new prices feel so totally normal. And as if, and you feel safe with the numbers rather than it being a scary pitch that you're going to send out. So it's all about yeah, normalizing those new numbers. So putting them up on your vision board, getting that spreadsheet that I mentioned. And a lot of my clients will actually play with the numbers, screenshot it, save it as their desktop background. And I did this for years as well. Now I've got like lovely, pretty travel pictures on my background. But for a long time, it was a boring spreadsheet. So I could see those numbers and they could feel so normal a long time before I was able to send invoices out for $13,000. I pretended (laughs) that that was already a normal part of my world. And it's getting comfortable with saying your pricing as well. Like it's going, okay, if you were seven years old and you were playing pretend as a rich businesswoman, go in the mirror and have that same energy and like put on the rich, the glass onion. I'm not sure if you've seen it. It's like a murder mystery. And then one of the main characters, she talks about what and I don't know if I might say this, but the rich bitch voice that her and her sister would put on to play millionaire and that that's eventually who her sister became. And like going to the mirror and 
pretend you're having that conversation with a client and say, yes, this is my pricing. Let me, and like, you've got to practice that detachment with it. I also set up reminders in my phone that would go off multiple times a day with my new pricing amounts long before I was actually ever getting multiple notifications a day for these payments coming through my online businesses. I had these notifications going off every couple of hours. Like you've just been paid $111. Just been paid $444. And now my notifications go off multiple times a day. You've just been paid $4,444. But you normalize it before it comes your normal. You step into it before it happens in reality. So it's going, how can I make that so safe? The mirrors, the vision boards, repeating yourself over and over again, reminders, pretending that those notifications are already hitting your bank account. Even I prepared scripts in my notes section in my phone because I knew I would come up against it if I had to sit down and think about a price for every client who was inquiring with me. And now I don't even do this. It's all automated on the system. They make their choices and that type of thing. But back in the day, like five years ago, I had the notes in my phone that's like, here's my pricing for my offers. And so when someone would inquire, we'd have a conversation and then I wasn't allowed to go and write out my own answer. I had to go and copy and paste that in and send it. And it just kind of gave me a level of detachment to the numbers. There wasn't any fear around it. It felt very safe. And before I knew it, people were telling me even those prices were too cheap. So... Oh, I love how practical all that advice is because it goes so much deeper than like just say the affirmation to yourself. I think the the piece of pinging your phone, like setting reminders that look like payment notifications for the new prices you want to normalize, like that is genius. That is so good. I think that's so smart and such a good way to hack your subconscious. Same thing with writing out the script in the notes app. I honestly, I did something similar with the first time I raised my prices to a point where it was like a little bit scary. And I did a lot of work too, just sharing my own experience on this as well of like sitting with it. I remember the first time I was going to sell my coaching packages and the price terrified me. Now I'm like, girl, why were you so scared at those prices? But I really just sat with it and I visualized myself and practiced like, saying the prices out loud and being like, okay, how are they going to react when they hear this price? How is it going to feel when they pay that number? And really just sitting with like, exactly like you're saying, getting my nervous system ready to be like, you can receive this and it's going to feel okay. And it's not going to feel like a shock when it comes through. So all this is so good. I'm just preaching back to you how much I love those practical tips. Because I think for people who have a hard time just doing the affirmations and being like, it's not working. I wrote it in my journal. It didn't work. Those are some really creative ideas too, even the vision board on your phone. So I love all of that. It is, it's just making it so normal. And you get to a point, my clients get to the point where they call me and they're like, I just went to go invest $7,000 in new equipment. And I realized I actually don't have that in the bank account, but I'm like, I was mentally there. I'm mentally ready. And you get to this point where you're mentally making a lot money than you currently are. And then there's this lag time or the void. And then it kind of like rushes in and fills up. And then that client's messaging me back and she's like, oh, so I did $80,000 in equipment that I purchased because now I've done this. And so it's like you mentally get there way before it shows up in reality. And, and the more you can create safety around that, the easier it becomes. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. It's so fun to play with this stuff, with the energy of it all and see how it has a real tangible effect on your life and your business and what you're able to call in. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on 
the sentiment that's often passed around in the online space, particularly in the coaching space, where they say that when you invest in big numbers, you normalize those big numbers to be able to receive them. I'm curious just what your thoughts are on that and if that is a valid strategy for getting behind raising your own prices or if you think it's something that we need to be careful with. Yeah, and I feel like it's industry specific as well. Like I've got clients making two, $300,000 a month. And their overheads are staff. So they're still investing big money to grow their business, but it's not the coaching message of like invest in yourself this amount and your business will grow. So it's that's in every business and every industry, you are investing large amounts of money to grow your business. You are. And I think if you can broaden your scope out from the coaching industry, you see how realistic that is. Everyone's got investing, everyone's got startup, everyone's got capital, whether that's equipment cars, transport, delivery, product costs, everyone has something that they have to invest in their business for it to be able to grow. For the coaching industry, it looks different because the thing that you're investing in is yourself. And also because it's you don't have that benchmark of, okay, let's say I own a dog shampoo company and I've got to buy my bottles in to put my products in and it costs X amount and that's kind of the industry standard is to pay $3 per bottle and you've got profit margins and that. In the coaching space, our income is so expansive and limitless that the price of the coaching becomes so expansive and limitless as well. I do believe that you need to be stretched. I do believe that there's this element of growth. Only from doing this and being in business the last 10 years and doing other business as well outside of coaching, I've you know, run a graphic design business, I ran a successful spray tanning company for eight years, all of the growth came from scary investments. It cost me $500 to start up my spray tanning business, but I had no money in my account. I had to go and have that conversation with my parents and ask for $500 to start this little spray tanning business. And then I had to upgrade my equipment and I had to spend $8,000 on the highest quality spray gun because I wanted to be the best, not the cheapest. And that was a scary leap as well. But I had my biggest months after that. So it's not just the coaching industry where this happens. However, the coaching industry is, I feel like, the one place where you're putting the money directly back into you. It's harder to quantify. And if you're an overthinker and you're an overachiever, you kind of are going to internalize that success and return on investment a lot more than if you look at it at a spreadsheet with buying bottles for your pet shampoo company. Yeah, when you take it out of the context of the coaching industry, it's a much more obvious conversation, I feel, because like you said, there's usually something tangible that you're investing in where you can at least see the potential for the scalability or the potential for the growth from it. And so it becomes almost more of a logical side of the brain decision versus the emotional one of like, this is all on me. I'm investing in me. This is just money being spent on me. And that feels crazy. But it's just the nature of the industry, like you're saying. And so I really like that perspective and appreciate taking it out of the coaching industry for a second and saying it's basically the same because there's no business like the coaching industry. There's no industry like the coaching industry where you don't have that overhead up front, but the overhead is still there that you have to invest in. It's just in you. So this is all just such an interesting conversation. And I want to switch it over to or continue it with the concept of once you raise your prices, there can be a moment where you hit a little bit of a quiet void. <laughs> and then there can be a little bit of panic that sets in in that void before it feels basically like 
the energetics of everyone else have caught up to the energetic shift that you declared for yourself. And it can be really easy to backslide in those moments. So how do you navigate this? How do we minimize it? And how do we move through it and make sure that we don't panic and undo something and discount our prices back down if it really was the best decision for us? Yeah. So I think the the best step in this that I've seen with my clients is just knowing the void is coming. It's like, don't bury your head in in the sand about it. There will be a void period. Everyone experiences it. And I feel like anyone who's like, I've never experienced the void. I just raised my prices and I had a hundred thousand dollar a week the next second. And I was like, okay, the void would have showed up somewhere else. That's not bullshit. This absolutely happens to every single business, whether it lasts for three hours or three months is you know the factor that it determines but the void space is really the gap it's like leaping over a canyon and you're currently on one side and all your clients are there and you can see the other side of your pricing and the new clients you're going to work with and everything's amazing over there and but you've got to leap over the canyon at some point there's going to feel like there's nothing underneath you you're going to feel like you want to like backtrack and go back to all the safe clients on the other side some of them will leap with you but most of them are going to just hang out on that side or they're going to turn around and go home. But you've got to still, it's like knowing the gap is coming, knowing there is this void space, I feel is the most powerful part of it. Because once you know about it, once you know it's normal for every single woman in business, even if she's not sharing about that publicly online, it does happen to everyone. Once you can normalize it, you feel safe with it and you don't let yourself spiral into this negative place. Like you don't let yourself sabotage you because you're like, okay, this is normal. I will come out the other side of this and it will be incredible. And it's realizing as well, like those clients that don't leap with you, those clients that are like, oh my God, I would never pay that much for you. Recognizing that those are the clients who knew they were taking advantage of you. That's the really big thing. I had a client raise her prices on her earrings. And once again, it was going from shifting. She had the highest quality imported steel. She focused so deeply on the quality of her product and donated a bunch of money to charity for every earring sold. But she was still known in the industry space as the cheapest. Oh my God, no, go here. You'll get three pairs for that price instead. When she raised her prices, there was a big void period. And she struggled to navigate it because then all those clients who knew they were taking advantage of her, knew she was the cheapest, knew they could call her up at 11 o'clock on a Friday night and be like, I need a blue pair to match this dress by the morning. Can you make it? And she would. She lost all of that client base, but she's built up one now that values her quality, values the fact that she donates so heavily to charity and is now saying you have to go and get earrings from this brand. It means so much more than earrings from Kmart. But the void space in between that is really scary. And you you do lose some clients. Some clients will not come along on the journey with you. And I think once you know that going into a price rise, it's easier to navigate. It is helpful just to know that everyone is going to experience this. Like you said, whether they show it or not, whether they show it on Instagram or not. But I'm curious how you view this. And this just popped into mind while you were speaking there of, first off, I think, I love the way you articulated that of the clients who don't come with you when you're moving to pricing that is in integrity when maybe before you were a little too cheap for for what you were providing. They're the clients that didn't fully value the service at the price that you know it should be at. But what popped up is what about when we're navigating? And I think that this is more of a conversation in the coaching space. Like you said, there may be moments in time where you decide you don't want your coaching to be massively accessible and and just booked full all the time, you want to work with a handful of people. But sometimes when we make that jump from where 
it was already at a good price, but now we're moving to a premium so that we can, you know, go deeper with those handful of clients, not take on as many people and really have this luxury service. I don't know if at that point it's fair to reconcile or to say to ourselves that the clients at the current prices that don't come with us don't value the services anymore. Sometimes we do just outprice people. And this is something that for me in the past has, I felt a little bad around it sometimes where it's like, I loved this client and I love serving them, but I also feel like I need to move up to these prices now. How do you view that kind of jump? when it comes to our pricing and navigating those relationships with with the clients that maybe can't come with us to this new price point? Yeah, so I believe there's probably two parts to this. It's when you're, if you're marketing to a brand new audience who isn't currently working with you, so in the shift that you experience between they know maybe that your coaching has been $1,000 an hour, you're moving into a $5,000 for a one consulting session type of space. Publicly, the thing that shifts is your messaging what you're calling in and and a certain level of education around that price rise and what it looks like to a broader audience. To your current clients, it is a little bit harder and it depends on your pricing structure and your model as well. If you're a contract by contract base, three months, six months, 12 months, obviously that conversation happens at the end of the contract. Obviously you're going to have to decide if if that loyalty and someone re-signing up time after time is worth taking a lower price and you open the higher price to your newer clients, which is personally something that I do. I've got clients that have been working with me for years that are currently paying half of what I charge if someone came in as a new client, but they've signed again every single month, never missed a payment for two years. It's a different level of loyalty. So you can have that progressive payment option as well. But the other conversation is heavy on in, in education. This is the reason for the price rise. This is the type of client that I'm working forward in this capacity moving forward. This is aligned with my values. This reflects everything that I'm going to teach and the quality and depth of my service. And then also making sure that your offer suite still provides options for people. There is an option for $7 to get something in my business. There is an option for $22,000 to get something in my business. And the way I kind of see that is, so we have season pass to the basketball here. My, my 12-year-old is a basketball nut. He got us into it last year. We bought a season pass for the basketball. And it's amazing. I love going to the games. And I'm sitting there looking at the corporate boxes. And I'm looking at the courtside seats. And I'm looking at the seats a couple of rows closer going, and next year I'm getting those ones. Next year I'm going to go corporate. The year after that, I'm probably going to get courtside tickets. And you look around the stadium and go, the basketball players are playing basketball. The marketing team's doing the marketing. And everyone loves the players and the game. They go onto the website and they find which tickets fit their budget. They find where they want to sit. They plan, if I can't go courtside now, but I save up for four months, I can get courtside for my birthday. You know, so it's trusting that your client knows her budget. You don't need to convince, sell or justify. She's going to come into that basketball stadium. She's going to pick the best tickets for her. And all your job, all that you have to do is provide the options for her to be able to choose the best one. Oh, that's a perfect analogy for it to think about it as like you pick where you fit in and where they can fit is probably the best space for them to be in any moment in time anyways. So I think that's a really great way to think about it. And it does, it helps you fill your product suite as well. When you have higher pricing to get access to you, 
it creates a natural flow for your clients as well, too. So I love that you answered in that way and brought that up because it's a really important piece to think about as well as we start building out more and more offers. Because at some point, if you don't raise your prices, you don't really have a lot of price to play with to create different tiers of offers in your world. I've definitely had at points where I've had to have conversations with clients around that of like, okay, it's really time to raise your prices because you want to add this additional service in. And it's going to be basically the same price as your one-on-one coaching if we don't make an adjustment here, if we don't raise the value of, of your your time for lack of a better way to put it when somebody's paying for you one-on-one. So beautiful way to answer and think about that question. I want to shift over into manifestation talk because you said something to me really cool right before we hit record. And it was after I said, did I just see you post a live where a bunch of your clients manifested cars? (laughs) And you're like, well, actually. So what was that celebration that you just told me before we hopped on? And then I want to talk all things manifestation with you. Yeah, so literally just before we, as I think as as it was like loading up the screen and we were checking audios, I got a notification through from a client who bought a one dollar ticket in a um like a giveaway competition randomly late last night and woke up this morning to a notification that she'd won over a hundred thousand dollars worth of home goods in a giveaway. So yeah, I love that my inbox is full of that type of stuff all the time. I had a client yesterday message and be like, someone has paid our car registration. We don't know who. Someone's gone on and paid it for a year. We can't figure it out. Like just, just the most random stuff you could ever imagine is constantly in my inbox and I love it. Wild and so cool. So we have to dive into this. How are you teaching people to do this? What is your process approach mindset around manifestation? Yeah, so I, I was that witchy kid <laughs> at school. And my auntie, my, my parents are not spiritual whatsoever. My mom's a witch in denial. But my auntie taught me about wishing on a moon and sage cleansing my house with incense and and like how to bring in that side into the things that I actually wanted in my life. Instead of she's like, don't just wish for it. You got to journal on it. You got to like set your, put your wishes into your crystals that she bought me and that type of stuff. So manifestation has always been a very big part of my life. Not in an arrogant way, but in a, I know I get whatever I want way because I I do the work, I take the action, but I also like just always had this belief I get whatever I want and I and I have you know the car the guy none of it made sense the house whatever I wanted my career everything I've ever wanted I've got and it, and it's been recently over the last two or three years more so I haven't been like known as a manifestation coach and that's not the space I want to step into but the conversations behind the scenes with my clients as you're taking them through the strategic tweaks in the business I realized there was actually a process I was taking them through that I guess you would call energetics, but to the mainstream manifestation as well. And so when I actually sit down, when I was writing my second book and looked at what I'd actually done my entire life to achieve all this, there was a very clear process. And I got so excited because I'm like, yay, now I can teach it bigger than just the private conversations with clients I've known for six months or more. So yeah, putting into the place this four-part process that I know has worked for me my entire life, has worked for my clients, and now teaching that process in business coaching and consulting and everything else I do, but also just as a standalone concept has been really, really powerful. And yeah, I love that people message me when they're like, Shoni, guess what I just manifested? It's so exciting. It's the best part. 
Oh, that is so freaking cool. I would love to have those notifications coming through as well, just to celebrate with people. Okay, selfishly, can we hear the high-level overview? What are the the steps of this process? Oh, exactly. And it's so simple. It's so simple. This is the thing I think people get really overwhelmed with manifestation. It feels really complicated or they don't do it because they don't know exactly what to do. They're do- doing the vision board. They're journaling on it. They know what they want and they're like meditating and doing all the stuff all the online coaches talk about with manifestation. But when you actually realize that there is a four-part process that you move through and then all of those tools like vision boards, journaling, affirmations, meditations, they are just tools. They're not actually the process that you move through. So the process is decide, getting really, really, really clear on what you want, getting incredibly clear, embody the version of yourself who has already achieved that and embodying it in the way of like how does she dress, how does she move, what color hair does she have, what coffee does she take, but also how does she navigate conflict? How does she check her emails? How does she wake up in the morning? How does she greet someone for the first time? So that deeper level of embodiment. And then the surrender part, which ties in with that void conversation we were having earlier, knowing that you have to surrender from how your manifestation happens and in what timeline it happens. That's the step I feel like women in business get caught up on the most, but the surrender part of it, and then the fourth step is that alignment. Is It's constantly making your decisions, your thoughts, your actions, your beliefs, the way that you navigate the world, be in deeper alignment with that higher vision that you hold for yourself. So yeah, decide, embody, surrender, and align. Ooh, that is so good. I'm going to tell you what comes to mind as I hear you say that. I'm now like referencing this with how I view things. Before you even said it, when you said surrender, I was like, oh, I always get stuck there. <laughs> like that is the hardest part. <laughs> and then you're like, this is where women in business get stuck. It absolutely is. But here's how I visualize this. And let me know if this aligns with how you put these pieces together or if this maybe goes in another step. But I was just having this thought earlier today too of a piece of the surrender is accepting where you are right now, wherever you are, without making it mean anything, without making it mean you can't have the thing that you want, because then it flows right into your last step of alignment of what can I do from where I am to get to where I want to be? Because I think in business, like we try to skip these steps so much in the name of, well, if I want to manifest, I can't acknowledge what's going on right now. If I want these big cash months, I can't look at my low cash months over here, which I understand in terms of getting in the mindset of it and embodying it. But also, how are you building the bridge to get from here to there? And to me, it's like those last two steps that I feel like people really get stuck in. And I would love to hear if like you agree, if I'm thinking about this right, or if I've got some of the pieces wrong. No, that's absolutely correct. And it is the last two pieces of the puzzle that that everyone gets stuck on. And that's why it's important to say this is the process. It's four part and you can't skip one. You can't skip ahead. You can't go, but I decided and I quantum leaped in the shower and you get out of the shower and go, why didn't it happen? Because that's not even, and and it's hard as well because you get to the point where you're working with such action-based, focused, getting stuff done women and you come to the surrender module in in the program that I teach and they're like, so how do I surrender? And I'm like, mm, even that is, we, we, so, we just want the to-do list. We want to know, okay, how do I do it? And the question is not, what do I need to do? The question is who I need to become and where do I need to release more and where do I need to accept? But the gratitude is a massive part of it. And it's like putting into context, if you're trying to manifest a new home and you're currently just sitting in your home looking around at the four walls and like, I hate being here. 
I can't wait for my next house. This this place is disgusting. The kitchen is awful. There's so much junk. In the next house, I'll be organized. In the next house, everything will be amazing. And the the missing gap here is when I tell women to treat the house that they're in, or the relationship they're in, or what the business they're in, whatever it is, as if it's already your dream home. Like you have to behave the same way. You have to clean out that junk and show appreciation. For this and we, we did this when we moved out of our own home the minute I started showing up with gratitude and treating it like the new home our dream home manifested in the craziest way like it doesn't even make sense so you've got to appreciate where you are while working towards what you want and not making a bad day a bad month a bad thought mean anything you get to choose whether that thought that emotion holds significance or not Yeah. Oh, you just picked such a pertinent example for me. I have that all the time, that battle with me and my living situation. I've I've shared bits and pieces of this, but I wanted to move for like five years. And I think that there is a piece of like, it hasn't fully dropped in yet because I don't really know where I want to go. So I think that's a piece of it too. But I constantly have to remind myself of like, be grateful for where you are. Treat your space like you love it. Like there's nothing wrong with being here right now. Feel gratitude for it. So when you said that, I was like, how does she know? <laughs> how does she know that's what I needed today? <laughs> and you, do, you get to a point where you're so grateful for where you're at. It almost goes, but do I want to move? Like the new house is amazing and it's ticked off everything I ever put on the list. But I'm like, oh, it's so good here. You get to that point as well. And I think that that's truly when everything kind of rushes in. When you feel like you've already achieved it, when you're already experiencing like the, the feeling of having that new house and being in that new location and I feel free and expanded and grateful and everything's light and bright and amazing. And when you create those feelings in your current reality, it's like the raise your prices, like energetically meet it first and the, the reality rushes in. You've got to energetically be there first with your feelings and emotions and everything. And then the rest of the world comes to play. Yeah. Why do you think that people particularly struggle with their manifestations when it comes to things of calling in more money? Why is that such a big block for people? Because we hold so many stories around money and I do, there's a a title in my phone of a post that I'm working on and it's like, why does it feel so much easier to manifest money for a French bulldog? And why does feeling manifesting money to pay my tax bill just feel like I'd rather stick hot forks in my eyes? Really though, yeah. This whole relationship with money, yeah. And ironically, I, I put the title in there and like, I'm coming back to that. And then I had a client message me like, hey, did you know I breed French Bulldogs? And would you like one? I have one here. <laughs> it oh was my the God. most wild experience. Anyway, that's happening. You can't make that stuff up. You can't. You, I was like, oh my God, freaked out by it. But the stories and the energy that we hold around money, and there's so much trauma sitting there over generations that I feel that the money energy and manifesting money feels murky. There's so much tied to our self-worth, specifically around money. There's so much tied to our feelings of safety as women around money, around our visibility. And so that's why you, and I do work with a lot of clients and honestly, even for me, manifesting opportunities and things into my life comes so much easier than money because there is just layers upon layers of healing for us to do in that space, I think. And it depends. It's not the same for every person, but I would say the majority of the women I work with find it easier to manifest things, opportunities, relationships, physical items, easier than it is to manifest money, especially when we get held into that. I'm going to manifest money through my business 
through this one particular funnel and we kind of can then even narrow it down further and we block ourselves from all these other money-making amazing opportunities that come into our life because we're like no universe I got this it's coming through this particular way Mm -hmm. and the universe is like but I have this really cool thing over here that's gonna make you a lot of money and you're like nope I'm locked in here (laughs) it's coming I'm checking the stripe account eight times a day it's coming it's coming it's coming and the universe is just sitting there almost like oh my god Listen. <laughs> I know. Ugh. Okay. To put a bow on this conversation, I would love to do a little exercise if you're open, but I think it would be really cool if we can take a manifestation that somebody might go for in business. And the one that's coming to mind is everybody wants the the 10K months, right? Like that's the glorified number that we've all decided upon is like the first big landmark is 10K months. If somebody were to come to you with that, can we go through your four-step process and just give high level, but just kind of what would that look like from stage to stage of those four steps? An example of how we might bring that to life or what it might look and feel like at each stage. And obviously the the specifics are going to be different for each person, but just to give a tangible example of how this process actually plays out, can we go through and try to see if we can assign, here's what this looks like every step of the way? Yeah, for sure. So it comes down to the, the decide part is obviously the first step. You can't do anything else without that. So the decide of going, okay, I want to step from wherever I am now into that 10K month space, which is so funny because when you do it and you do it through this process, I get the messages like, oh my God, I hit it two months ago and I didn't even realize. Or this month's been this amount and I didn't even realize because it's so normal for you. So the decide process is going, this is what I want. Why do I want it? And I think people get held up in this step two that like it has to mean something. It's about helping people. And it's like, it's okay to just say, I want it because I want it and that's enough. I just want to be able to say I've done it. And you don't have to hold this weird energy around it being for the bigger vision of the planet. You can just be like, I want the bag. I want the thing. And it's enough just because I want it. So the decide step is really important. And the certainty that that is what you're going from and you become like that unwavering, this is for me. It is for me because I want it because that like it's come from me and I'm not going to accept any less. This is now the bare minimum for me. Then we move into the embody step of, okay, so the woman who has $10,000, what does her business look like? How does she move? What does she have for breakfast? How does she respond to her emails? What is the energy that she is playing in every day and getting really clear on almost creating that character? And it's that thing of like, well, when I have $10,000 a month, I won't check my phone in the morning and I'll wake up and I'll go to Pilates and then I'll eat a proper breakfast. Then I'll call my assistant and I'll come into my office and do some work for the day. And it's like, so live that life now. And they're like, but I need to check emails in the morning and I can't afford a Pilates membership. And it's like, charge your phone in a different room, do Pilates on YouTube, get the matching active wear, get it from Kmart. I don't know if you guys have Kmart in the States. I just want to go to Walmart. Like go and get the cheap active wear set. Like you've got to become that version of you first before the money shows up, not wait for the money to show up and then try and match yourself to it. So there's all these little steps along the way with that embodiment, like playing into deciding on that character. What does she look like? Feeling into it and becoming a little bit more of her every single day. In her confidence, how does she shake hands? How does she introduce herself? If she gets a negative comment on one of her product reviews, how does she handle that? And it's, so it's really, it's a journaling experience at the start of the embodiment process. I'm really diving deep into this creative space of what does that next level of you look like? regardless of the money in the bank being achieved right now and then becoming her 
is that process. And this is the thing as well, like this four-part process could take four days. It could take four years. There is no timeline on how we move through this. You can't speed it up. It's just your timeline is your timeline. So they kind of move through the embodied step. They're starting to become that version of themselves, regardless of what's kind of happening in reality. They're thinking different, walking different, standing taller. And I do get the messages like, you know, I feel like it's already done. The money's not in my bank account, but I'm already mentally there making $10,000. This is such a weird feeling. And it's like, it's just, and I think you've actually seen me speak about this with Emma and, and some of the stuff we're a part of, like the lag time where things catch up after you're already mentally there, there is that little bit of the lag. And that's when you start to have those messages come in and they're like, I'm, I'm mentally here, but it's not in my reality. It's like, you've got to surrender the timeline and the how. That's the thing. The surrender part of this is going, okay, so I'm going to make $10,000 months. But if you sit down and map out, I need to get four clients at this price point and, and 40 clients at this price point, that means I need X amount of email subscribers to come in. And you're so focused on, how you're going to make it happen, you're almost choke-holding your goals to get to that 10K, you could completely miss the DM in your inboxes looking for a corporate client to get you to fly here and consult for a weekend for $10,000. You completely miss all the opportunity. When you're choke-holding the how, that's not manifesting. That's just making a goal happen. That's just forcing something to happen. Manifesting is allowing you to be surprised allowing it to happen in the craziest, most unexpected way. So you have to completely surrender the how and completely surrender the when. So when you say I'm stepping into $10,000 months and it's open-ended, there's no pressure on it. So I'm becoming that woman. It's happening. The clients are finding me. When you say I'm going to step into $10,000 months by Christmas, instantly your energy is like, how do I make this happen by Christmas? And so it completely blocks everything. So the surrender is releasing the how and the timeline. And then that alignment step is when you get a bill and you start to freak out going, if I had $10,000, this $200 bill wouldn't matter. And so holding yourself in that energy, even if you might need to email them and be like, I'm going to pay this in a couple of days when my invoice is clear, but holding the energy of like, this isn't a problem. It's that alignment piece, which yeah, a lot of people don't realize where the disalignment is blocking one thing because they're like saying affirmation and make $10,000 a month and it's on their vision board. But in their little daily habits, they are saying, I don't believe it's actually possible for me and I need to stay restricted and scared and safe. Yeah. Oh, that was so good, Shauna. Just to that last piece that you said, something I believe very deeply is the actions that you put forward, the small ones, the big ones, all of them together are what show the universe what you're ready for. It's not what you think and what you say. It's how you actually show up because your actions are so influenced by what you deeply believe is possible. And so how you're moving through life and how you're responding to things, just like you said in that last bit there, is really that last anchor in of like, okay, this can drop in now. I'm ready for it. But if you don't believe it, you're not going to take the actions. So it's almost like I feel like we can hack it a little bit too of like checking your actions and asking yourself, does this align with what I'm saying I'm ready for and what I'm getting ready for? And you can use that as kind of a gut check too to keep the process going. Or at least that's how I've hacked my brain <laughs> around this manifestation process. But that was so beautiful. Thank you for taking us through an example. I think that that is so helpful for people just to see how this plays out in the different processes. I loved 
all of what we've talked about today. I think this conversation is so interesting, so relevant. And like I said in the beginning, a beautiful change of pace from the hard strategic conversations that I've been having a lot on the podcast lately. So thank you for coming and bringing all the energetic wisdom here into the show. For people who would love to connect with you and learn more about what you do, where is the best place for them to find you? I feel like Instagram is still the main hub for me under shinergates.co. I do hang out on TikTok quite a lot, but if you're into that like slightly funnier side of things, I'm over there too as badass and bulletproof. But yeah, that's the main, I would say Instagram is the main space if you enjoyed this conversation to go and see, I guess, more, more conversations like this and expand on that pricing conversation as well is what I talk about a lot over there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much again for coming on the show. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. Everyone listening, please go connect with Shauna. Let her know what you loved about the episode and what she shared with all of us today. And I will see you guys all in the next episode. Thank you so much, Shauna. Thank you. Hey, before you go, I've got two quick things for you. Number one, I want to say thank you so much for being here. It truly means the world to me that you choose to spend your time here listening to these conversations, tuning in with me, soaking up all of this information and everything that we are going through together. I cannot express how much gratitude I have for you for being here on this journey with me. With that said, number two, the second thing I have for you is I want to make sure that since you're here, you have my phone number. Seriously, I have an inner circle daily text list where every single day, Monday through Friday, I send out a positive affirmation or a journal prompt or something I've been thinking about, or even an aha moment that has completely shifted my perspective that I want to share with you too. So you can share in on everything that I am working on to grow and continue evolving and continuing to be the best version of myself. I want to share those things with you. And the best place to do it is through this inner circle daily text list. So if you want to get on this list, if you want to receive these messages from me, and again, yes, it's really me. It's coming straight from my phone. What you need to do is text the word community to my number at 213-606-3853. Again, that's the word community to my number 213-606-3853. 3853. As soon as you send me over that tax, I will send you a message back with the quick details to officially register for this inner circle daily text list. And once you are all registered, we are ready to get to texting. The messages all go straight to my phone. I see all of the replies. I look at them. I send you messages back. So it is such a great way for us to connect and continue to work on our growth together. So go ahead and shoot me that message ASAP so that we can get connected.